0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On podcast. Now it is Thursday, August 20th, 2020, and today's show is brought to you in part by Built Bar. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you all are having a good day, a good week, a good evening. Hope you all are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as it refers to the work week. Hope your day is going well. I'm Danny Webster, I'm your host, and I appreciate you stopping by for today's episode in which the wait continues on when and who the Vegas Golden Knights will face in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The playoff picture could be a little bit clearer by the end of the night tonight if the Dallas Stars uh, take care of business against the Calgary Flames in game six later tonight, to which then it would only be down to two teams, either the Vancouver Canucks or the St. Louis Blues, which by the way, the Canucks, bravo to the Couve. Three, two, series lead. they have a chance to knock out the champs in the first round. Can you believe it? I mean, I sort of can. I picked Vancouver in seven, but that is not the point. The point of the matter is it is still undecided and undetermined when the Golden Knights will play game one of the second round and who they will play that again, many options between now and then we'll have to wait and see how the games unfold uh, tonight And tomorrow, but alas, the Golden Knights have earned themselves a pretty decent break. To which I was thinking the other day, or actually I was thinking earlier today, it's a very good thing this podcast was not around in year one, because I don't think I could have gone eight days with trying to fill in content for what we would do on this show. Because remember in year one, Vegas swept LA, but they already knew who they were playing in the second round because it was going to be San Jose. Because San Jose also swept Anaheim in the first round of that series. Um, I don't know how I could have thought about doing eight days of basically nothing. Of trying to figure out what I'm going to do for a podcast with no hockey. That would have been kind of crazy. And then even after after they beat the Sharks in the second round, they still had to wait a few days to figure out who they were going to play in the conference final. Eventually, Winnipeg would win in seven. And then when Vegas beat Winnipeg in five in the conference final... They still had a few days of rest to worry about who they're going to play in the Stanley Cup final because Washington had to come back and beat Tampa in seven. So I'm not sure exactly how it would have gone over had we had this podcast in year one and basically a long stretch of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I don't know how that would have gone over, especially with me, because I I, I would have probably broken out into song. song. It, it probably would have been that kind of a show, which, you know. The only the only song we're going to get is me doing the NBC jingle or maybe the rock out jingle, which I, I don't know uh, if you all want to hear me break out into song. That's what my wife is for uh, in terms of the artistic talents in our household. She is the singer. I most certainly am not. So let's be thankful for that. But I figured leading up to the second round, we still have some things to talk about. And there were a couple of things that I did not mention in the other day's show on Wednesday after Vegas Uh, eliminated Chicago and advanced to round two. And I wanted to start off by talking about the top line, which was reunited with William Carlson, Max Pacioretty, and Mark Stone. Obviously, the return of Paul Stasny was able to bring some stability to the top six heading into game five. And I've talked about it before, about the importance of that line. And I think we saw last year how good that line can be. And if that line is as good as that can be, they can carry a team far into the playoffs. Obviously, depth is going to be a huge thing. But when you saw what Stasny, Stone, and Pacioretty did in in seven games in round one last year, you think, well, if those guys did all the work themselves and got out to a 3-1 lead, And obviously them fizzling out in game five and game six did not help matters leading up to game seven. But if you can have that line produce at the way that you know that they can do now with Carlson in the fold, they've shown that they could carry a game and they can carry a team for long periods of stretches. And you saw that in game five when Vegas was down two to nothing and looked like a complete deja vu from uh, from game four when Chicago jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Vegas got one back, but they couldn't get any more past Corey Crawford. You saw that in this instance where the Golden Knights were down 2 nothing. They get the big goal from Pacioretty near the end of the first period. And what happens after a terrific shift from the fourth line to start the second period? Golden Knights come back with the top line. William Carlson leads the four check. He's got Stone and Pacioretty on his side. And they initiate offense the way that you would hope a top line would and you have Carlson who can be as dangerous of a scorer as he is a passer and he makes a great pass to Stone after his shot was initially blocked he gets the puck back and he finds Stone he flicks it over Crawford's left shoulder and it's 2 to and it's 2 to 2 just like that and i can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head but i I think the top line had the best game out of all forward lines. I think in terms of Corsi, I think it was 23 to nine, which was like a 71% Corsi and in in somewhere in in that instance, they looked really good and they were looking good before the pause. And if that line can continue to generate offense and continue to control the pace of the game, you're not going to find many defenses, no matter how good the team is that can stop that line because you have a hockey IQ all across the board you already know we already know how good carlson is as in terms of a distributor we know how lethal he can be when he's got the puck on his stick and he's trying to shoot we know what he can do we also know what stone can do with his with the double threat of either passing the puck or scoring he can do either or he's got great touch around the net he's got soft hands he's got a great stick and he's also one of the best passers on the team if not the best passer and then, of course, you have Patcheretti, which if he he said himself after game five, it's the best he's ever felt uh, in the bubble, which I mean, that that's clearly a good thing because you want him to be at his best after having close to three weeks, almost a month off, which good God, that seems like forever. But when you got a healthy Pacioretty sitting in the left circle, uh, that's going to do wonders for this team. That's going to do wonders for this team. If Carlson can set up Pacioretty on the one-timer, if Stone can find Pacioretty, it, it comes down to if that line can stay healthy. And I know we're talking in relative terms here because Pacioretty did not miss any time literally until the playoffs. He had played an entire season up until the pause. So it's not like we're talking about health. Stone, we're, we're kind of on the same breath. He was he didn't miss any time until the last few games before the pause. And Carlson had been the Iron Man on this team. For the better part of two years, literally until Gerard Gallant got fired or the the days leading up to it, uh, William Carlson was battling a finger injury and you really couldn't do anything with it. And he missed, I think, the first, God, how many games was that? I think it was like six or seven games after DeBoer took over that Carlson missed and he had to get acclimated to a new system. So you take all that into consideration. And you watch this line perform the way they did against Game Five. And again, they're going to run into some stiff competition. No matter who they place in round two, they're either going to face a scrappy Calgary team, they're going to face a young, hungry Vancouver team, or they're going to face the defending Stanley Cup champions. There is going to be there's going to be a tough matchup in any out of any of those three teams. There, there's no question about that. But if they can produce, that opens the door for everything. And I think that's why it was so important for Stasny, Stone, and Patrick Reddy to be as good as they were last year, because I think it opened the door for everyone else. It definitely took the pressure off Carlson, Marshall, and Smith. I I absolutely 100% think that those guys took the whole load of pressure off of those three after how they carried uh, that team offensively to the Stanley Cup final in year one if that line of those 3 stars can generate enough offense to where it takes the load off everybody while the third line is playing as good as it is while the second line was contributing as well as it was through games 1 and 2 of that series it's going to be it's going to be a very dynamic offense that rolls with the golden knights as we get deeper into the playoffs and you know we we talk about it before the depth is important that's without question the depth is 100 important but if you can get three guys to play at the level that they can play at especially as good as they are and as smart and as dangerous as they are that's why a lot of people are picking the golden knights to go far that's why a lot of people are picking the golden knights to get to the stanley cup final that's why people are picking the golden knights to get to win the whole stanley cup It's not just the goaltending. Even though goaltending is probably the most crucial aspect of a playoff series, they're going to get that no matter who they put in that between Leonard and Flurry. Having that line generate offense the way they are, entirely different ballgame. And you saw a glimpse in Game 5 of just how good that team can be. Another line that was really good on on, uh, Tuesday in Game 5 was the fourth line. A modified fourth line that we have not seen in quite a long time with Chandler Stevenson centering with William Carrier and Ryan Reeves. And I will give my thoughts on that line in just a little bit. But first, friends, I need to tell you that Build Bar is back. Build Bar is back and it is better than ever and it's also looking better than ever. A brand new look brand new flavors, brand new feel with this energy protein bar that literally tastes like a candy bar, a chocolate bar. And now they have six new flavors. Yes, six new flavors. Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Barcia. As a fan of puns, I love that one. Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, And the one I am actually very excited to try, Apple Almond Crisp. That goes along with the 12 original flavors that they've had before, like raspberry, German chocolates, peanut butter, peanut butter brownie, orange, my favorite, double chocolate, which sounds dangerous, but that's why Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health-conscious person that helps you lose or maintain weight while indulging and a very delicious treat. And they are great if you are on a keto diet as well. They are fantastic for that as well. And if you would like to get involved with Built Bar so you can understand what I'm talking about, Built Bar has a great deal for you through their relaunch. First of all, if you make a purchase, you get a free cooler, which given the current hot temperatures we're in, you need a cooler. It it is important to keep your things cool. The other one, uh, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, you will get $10 off your next order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $10 off your next order. I guarantee you guys, you're going to love the way these bars taste. If you have not tried them yet, I highly, highly recommend do it. Go to BuiltBar.com, enter the promo code On to get $10 off your next order. That's BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T, Bar.com. And friends, just as a gentle, friendly reminder, if you would like to follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK, you can do so. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at DannyWebster21. Or if you want to send an email, LockedOnGoldenKights at gmail.com is the place to do that. Just say hi, send in questions, do whatever you want. It's cool with me. If you want to tell me I suck, that's also something that, you know, is probably going to hurt my feelings deep inside. But you know what? You are allowed to because this is a free country And you can tell me whatever you want, I suppose. But at least be friendly if you know me, I guess would be the way to put it. But yes, follow the show on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. All that jazz is greatly appreciated. So I mentioned earlier, the fourth line on game five, I thought was fantastic. And I think the biggest question that I had the minute Patcher Reddy came back for game one against Chicago, the biggest question I had was how would Pete DeVore handle the bottom six? Because going into camp, you had Nick Cousins on the left, Chandler Stephenson, and Alex Tuck, which if we're going based off of pure skill and pure just understanding of what we've seen leading up to the pause, that line would have been perfect. That line would have generated so much offense and it would have been scary for other teams to face. But with Pacioretty out... DeBoer's had to make a few changes, and one of those changes was putting Nick Waugh on the fourth line to the third line, and of course, as we discussed over the last two, three games, I think the Golden Knights finally have a third line that sticks with Nick Cousins, Nick Waugh, and Alex Tuck. The fourth line, with Tomas Nosek out, now keep in mind, going into camp, Nosek was uh, potentially going to be a healthy scratch, so... In a way, we are seeing what the lineup would have eventually looked like had the Golden Knights stayed healthy and gone through an entire training camp with no injuries. We are seeing that develop. And the fourth line, I thought, was really interesting because Patrick Brown played admirably in games three and four, even scored in game three. He was fantastic when called upon. He did his job and he is to be commended for it within the Golden Knights organization. Going into game five, with Paul Stasny back and Tomas Nosek still out, they des- Pete DeBoer decides to keep the third line the same, but put Chandler Stevenson on the fourth line with William Carrier and Ryan Reeves. Now, I touched on this after game four. The top line needed to do better, which, of course, it did with Carlson going back. With Stasny coming back, it, al- it allowed Carlson to go back to the top line, and they did their... They did their work like I alluded to earlier. With Stevenson going to the fourth line, I thought that was interesting. One because I thought it would be a good wake. I as I saw the lines roll out, I thought it was a good wake-up call for Chandler Stevenson because he did not play good. Or he did not play well at all in games three and four, which that was a perfect opportunity for him getting re-acclimated with Patriaretti and Stone. And the fact that they could not generate any offense with him centering that line, I thought was a completely scary situation if you were Vegas. So one, I think it was a wake up call Two, Chandler Stevenson and Pete DeBoer alluded to this when I asked him after game five, Chandler Stevenson played his best game of the playoffs on that line. Now, again, and I talked about this before, when it comes to advanced numbers, you can only use that so much to further enhance your argument, which is why I had to bring up the fact that Corsi-wise and scoring chance-wise, the top line was amazing. And it just proved it when you look further into the numbers while you rewatch the game. In terms of the fourth line, there were so many instances where I saw Stevenson get into open space and generate opportunities. There was one shift in the first period where I think the fourth line must have had the puck for about forty five seconds to a minute, and it was mainly because Chandler Stevenson was was uh, cycling around the Chicago zone, basically waiting to get somebody open he He actually took a shot, it was saved by Crawford, he gathered the rebound, and he cycled it all the way back to the blue line and brought it back uh up to uh, up near the net, which gave the fourth line another good opportunity, which eventually was blocked and it went the other way for Chicago. The other one was in the second period where William Carrier finds a cutting Stevenson who we forget how fast Stevenson is, by the way. He gets all alone down the center of the ice and he tries to beat Crawford short side, but Crawford made a fantastic save on the breakaway. That could have probably changed the complexion of that game even further had Vegas scored there. We've talked a lot about the fourth line and you know, we know what Carrier and Reeves bring as far as the physicality. We know that they're among the league leaders in hits almost every year when they're together. We know that often, offensively, they're a very sneaky group. And we know about Carrier's forward checking and how well he can drive a play when he gets the puck. We know about his speed. And even Reeves has shown on many occasions to get involved offensively in a play. That is where I think the difference is with Chandler Stevenson because he's not physical, but he brings the speed and the playmaking that we know he can produce. And with the way that Pete DeBoer rolls out the fourth line for each game, when it's called upon every faceoff that starts a period, he goes with the fourth line. No disrespect to Tomas Nosek and certainly no disrespect to Patrick Brown, but Having Stevenson be essentially your quarterback on that line, I think makes a world of difference. Not only does it open up things for Reeves and Carrier, but it gives you a threat because we've seen how good Stevenson is and we, we immediately found out as soon as Vegas acquired Chandler Stevenson back in December, you can put him on any line and he can produce even in the regular season, when he was centering Stone and Pacioretty, he was terrific, and we didn't really get a chance to see most of. We didn't get really a chance to see that as much when DeBoer took over. That was basically a formula under Gerard Gallant that worked. But given the fact that Stevenson has speed, he's a good passer. He definitely is shown to be a very good finisher when he gets in close. You put all that together with those guys who just love crashing the net and love hitting people. If that is the way that DeBoer rolls that fourth line going forward, which I think he will Chandler Stevenson could end up being a very important player because if you're going to continue to roll that fourth line out every game at the start of every game, you need to have at least the difference maker to generate some offense. And if you can get that out of Chandler Stevenson, and if you can get the forechecking of Reeves and Carrier to set the tone, as well as even create some opportunities in the offensive zone to start a game, that's going to make a world of difference, especially going deeper into the playoffs. So I thought the to go with Stevenson in that regard was a great move by DeBoer. And even though the numbers didn't back it up, I think that they were, I think they allowed like more shots, and I don't think they generated anything offensively when those three played together during the regular season. And I have to go back, but I can't remember off the top of my head where Stevenson was on the fourth line when he uh, made his debut. But I don't think it was with Reeves and Carey. I think I think Carey might have been on the third line, so I think it was no second Reeves and Stevenson was on the wing. So you can put him in many different spots, and you can put him on any line, and he's going to produce. Now, obviously, like I said, games three and four in closeout situations, not the best night for Stevenson, but I'll tell you what, he's been so reliable as a fourth liner, even when he was in Washington and now with Vegas as a bottom six guy, if you can get him in situations with that fourth line to where he can still create offense and still make plays for Reeves and Carrier, it's going to look like a much smarter decision to roll that fourth line out every game to start like DeBoer has done. So I thought the fourth line was fantastic. They didn't get any goals. They didn't get any points. Um, and Carrie and Reeves have gotten their share of the scoring department so far to this point. But you know, when you see Stevenson getting into the rhythm there and if he can make those guys better, then you really roll out four lines and each line could be dangerous. I mean, the fourth line is already dangerous just because they are literally hit you at any given instance. But Stevenson, I thought played his best game of the playoffs and it was by a country mile and it was on the line that you did not expect. And that's the fourth line. So given that the fact that everyone stays healthy, I think DeBoer has found his line combinations heading into the, the later run of this playoffs. And I think the fourth line of Stevenson, Carrier and Reeves, especially when you roll them out to begin a game, they're going to be very crucial for Vegas at some point in a game. It's going to be very crucial to have those guys playing at a high level. All right. So one look around the league before we get out of here. And we do have some teams that have joined the golden Knights in the fray when it comes to the second round of the playoffs and the Colorado avalanche are one of them. They will be moving on after just, disp- uh, after dispatching the Arizona coyotes in five games with a seven to one victory in game five. The other day, I won I want to say this because I think it needs to be said, <laughs> The Coyotes overachieved this year by a country mile. It is not even close. The way that they were able to you know, even get to the point of making the playoffs this year, not only making the playoffs, they beat the Predators to get there. They, have, they made a lot of moves this year that I think they had to make, especially with how close they were to making the playoffs last year. Getting Hall was the right move. Getting Kessel was a great move to add to those young guys. And this has nothing against Rick Tockett as a, as a person or even as a coach, I think he's a great coach. I just don't think he was the right coach for that team. If they had gotten someone that was a little bit more offensive oriented, the coyotes probably would have made a series out of it, but to get 24 shots in a closeout game and to have less than 20 in game four, when you got run out of Rogers place to only score one goal in two games, when you were down two to one in a series, you had just won game three, you had all the momentum and then Colorado just completely shut them down. Um, I don't know what, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the Coyotes this year, if they are able to even re-sign Taylor Hall. Now with the whole thing with John Chayka, now uh, having been over with and how they address the general manager situation going forward, uh, how they address the ownership, that's going to be very interesting, especially if they can't re-sign Taylor Hall. But I'm I'm going to be interested to see what the Coyotes do, and they've got to find a way to build a competitive team around Rex Hawkins. Again, it's not because he's not a bad coach, he's a really good coach. We forget Arizona was atop the division at some point earlier this year before they kind of fell off with injuries to Kemper. But man, they they've got to get somebody that is going to generate offense as far as coaching goes. The way they performed in the games four and five was not it. So long questionable offseason, or maybe a quick questionable offseason for Arizona coming up, but the Coyote or the uh, the Avalanche are moving on to round two. Obviously, the projected Western Conference final between Vegas and Colorado is still very much in play. The Tampa Bay Lightning eliminated the Columbus Blue Jackets in five games, winning 5-4 in overtime. Man, talk about another team that needs to generate some offense. They finally did. Columbus finally brings some offense in Game 5, put up 41 shots and scored four, got four goals past Vasilevsky. But, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, I think Jonas Corpusala just ran out of gas. He, he just ran out of gas, took 25 shots for the Lightning, get five goals, and then Braden Point, much like he did in the marathon of game one, gets the winning goal in overtime to send the lightning to the second round. Revenge, thy name is Tampa Bay after getting swept by Columbus last year. But Columbus, I will say this for any Columbus Blue Jackets fans listening, I am a huge fan of the Blue Jackets. Not like, you know, I've been a fan a long time. I love the makeup of this team. You got to get one more offensive player. You got to get one more guy that can score goals. And I think you're set. Because the fact is, they won more playoff games combined in the postseason than Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, and Matt Duchesne combined. Those three won two. Nat, or Columbus won its play-in series and won one game in, in the first round. So that I think you should put your head up high for because this team should not have even been anywhere remotely close to making the playoffs. They got healthy. They got everybody back and just was fantastic and their goaltending my god that goaltending duo is going to be so so good for the foreseeable future i'm telling you columbus they get another guy in there if they get another guy or two to carry the scoring that's going to that's going to prove a world of difference for columbus in the future i'm very excited to see what they do uh the boston bruins knocked out the carolina hurricanes in five games last night uh, with a two to one victory very surprising because I, I initially thought with the Hurricanes, I thought they had all the tools and all the right things go their way to where they could eliminate Boston, especially with everything going on with Tuka Rask and now having to go forward with Yarrow Halak. I think Yarrow Halak needs to be commended for even coming in basically cold, being ready, and delivering three straight quality performances to help Boston move on to the second round. When we were talking in the Brown Robin, did not look like Boston was going to survive very long especially with how it took how slow it was for Posternak to get going how, how the top line just did not look in sync because Posternak missed all of camp and for Boston to go out and win three straight i think they need to be absolutely commended for how they handled the situation and i think if this is the way Boston is going to play going forward i i would be very uh very intrigued especially uh if the philadelphia flyers close the montreal Canadiens, philly versus boston is going to look a little bit more interesting than it did before so i'm just saying speaking of the flyers the montreal Canadiens are not done yet a four to three victory last night for the habs giving them a chance to force a game seven uh nick suzuki with the winning goal kudos to old nick if you uh are still a fan of nick suzuki i completely understand uh but the Habs will not go away quietly uh that was a wild game last night by the way i what was it like four goals in the second period five goals in the second period and about 38 penalties that was a very wild game last night but the Habs survived brendan gallagher has a broken jaw though and oh man that that hit by Niskanen did not look good. I, I don't know at, at the time of this. I don't know if Niskanen has been uh, disciplined by the Department of Player Safety, but Brendan Gallagher has a broken jaw. And if he does not go in game six, I can only imagine uh, how big of a blow that's going to be for the Canadians. He, he probably won't go. But I mean, if they put a shield on him and if they got a chance to force a game seven, if they can somehow win game six without Gallagher and put him in for game seven, that's going to be huge that is going to be a huge situation. And I don't know if Montreal has found the solution to finally beating Carter Hart, but if Carey Price can steal one more game and forces to a Game 7, anything can happen. So I would be very cautious of that. And I mentioned at the top, the Vancouver Canucks are one win away from knocking out the defending Stanley Cup champions. To which, I mean, I know it's, I shouldn't be as shocked, but I did have Vancouver winning this series in seven, but I think I'm more shocked at the fact That not only did Vancouver go up 2-0, St. Louis makes the move to go to Jake Allen in games three and four. He plays spectacular. St. Louis ties the series. And then Vancouver comes back in game five behind a wacky second period. And they are able to put the Blues at the brink of elimination. To which Craig Rube is saying, we're forcing a game seven. You got to love when a coach is guaranteeing that that kind of a shtick. So the Canucks have a chance to eliminate the St. Louis Blues. I believe game six is tomorrow. It is tomorrow at 6.45 p.m. Pacific time. So get ready for that finish between the Blues and the Canucks. It's going to be a lot of fun, especially if it goes to a game seven, which would be on Sunday. So again, to kind of keep you uh, abreast of what is going on with the playoff situation, it's basically simple. If the Calgary Flames come back and beat the Dallas Stars in game six and game seven, it will be Vegas and Calgary in the second round. If Dallas advances, it will be the winner of Vancouver, St. Louis that will meet in the second round with Vegas while Dallas would play Colorado in round two. So depending on who you want in this situation, you're more than likely hoping that Vancouver, beat St. Louis and Calgary beats Dallas or kind of vice versa. It really doesn't matter. But I think you're rooting for either the flames or the Canucks because you know, Vegas can probably handle both of those teams. So if you are interested in that, I would say become a Canucks fan or a flames fan for the next, well, I mean, game six is when at uh, seven thirty, So in about an hour from now, um, you got a chance to be a flames fan for at least a few hours if you want that. So Interesting situation coming up with the playoff picture, and the Golden Knights still have a few days to burn. So that, my friends, will do it for me today. Thank you for downloading, sharing, listening, subscribing. All that jazz is greatly appreciated. Again, follow us on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at dannywebster Twenty One. We will see tomorrow if there are any more as if there's any more clarity with the second round of the playoff picture, but we will have to wait until then. I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, and I will see you next time. Have a good a day.